Well, if you read the Pulse this past Tuesday, then you've got a little foretaste of this message about kicking the dust off uh, our shoes of 2020. I've never seen uh, us as a nation, or actually as humanity, so ready for a new year. Have you? I mean, even back in, well, especially back in 1999, you'd think that uh, there was some excitement for a new year then, but then there was that whole Y2K debacle, you know? Uh, that was the year that, uh, the other year where uh, uh, a roll of toilet paper was sort of the symbol of the year, you know? Uh, but uh, we are ready for a new year, and it's a new year. But do you know how to really kick the dust off the old year? Do you know how to leave the past behind? Earlier I said confession is good for the soul. We're going to take a look at a scripture that's one of the most uh, famous sayings in all human history. Very brief, very brief uh, golden rule we call it. And I want to give us a place to start with this simple view of the law and the prophets. You know, Jesus is saying all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in this golden rule. But where do you start? Where do you start? Well, how about with an apology? (laughs) Doesn't sound real positive, but if you want to be able to move into a new year and, and leave the past behind... You have to remember, wherever you go, there you are. 2020, 2021, how do you leave the past behind? Confession is good for the soul. From the Word of God, Matthew 7, 12. Hear God's Word. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the icon of cool when I was young was Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz right, with his cock-combed hair and leather jacket, motorcycle, even jumping sharks on water skis, right? He was cool, but he was relatable when he tried to admit that he was wrong. Some of you can remember when you, when you, you were old enough to remember what he would try to say, I was wrong, he would say, I was woo, woo, woo. He wouldn't quite come out, he'd say, I was woo, I'm sorry, I was woo, woo, woo. And finally, he'd be able to say, wrong, right? It's hard to say it, and we all kind of feel that way. But it's even harder to say these three words in a row. I am sorry. (laughs) So let's look at the anatomy of an apology as a way to start, as a way to start with the golden rule this year. Because Living the golden rule begins really with leaving the past behind. How can you leave the past behind when you're dragging it with you? I think the the place where most of us are stuck is that we get in our own way. Most of us have 
problems, we're constantly saying, well, the problem's out there. It's over here. It's, it's always out there. But what if we're the biggest barrier to growth? What if you're your own worst enemy? I think it's true. Most of us are in our own way. And so an apology is really a symbol. Don't just think, well, this is about saying you're sorry or about having some awkward conversation with somebody. This is a symbol of taking responsibility. That's why I'm talking about confession. How do you take responsibility for the places that are gaps in your life and the places where, that don't line up with that plumb line? How do you take personal responsibility? Well, let, let's take a look at the anatomy of an apology as a way in to that big, big subject. It's a way to make it simple. So a good apology has one eye, it has one raised chin, and it has two ears. One eye, one raised chin, and two ears. All right, so here we go. So first of all, a, a, a good apology, a sincere and true apology has one eye, but it's not this kind of eye. It's me, myself, and I. You see, so... There's a habit we get into, and it's called defensive, the defensive habit. And when you put yourself into your apology, when, when you show up to your own apology, then it becomes something freeing. It becomes something sincere. You can begin to break the defensive habit. And what do I mean that it would show up to your own apology? Well, let me tell you this little story about a guy. who I, I, I watched this conversation unfold where this guy was, he was really impatient with somebody who was working for him. And, um, and she was older and very much wiser. And uh, he was impatient with her, and she said, you know, um, you're being a little, you're, you're kind of stepping on my toes. And he said what is sort of the typical apology Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Now, where is the person in that apology? Nowhere to be found. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry you have this hang-up of people being rude to you. Oh, sorry that happened to you. Sorry you felt it that. Oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's a worse one. I'm sorry you feel that way. I sure am sorry you feel that way because it's a real inconvenience to me that you're having these feelings. It's not a real apology, right? Well, she pointed it out to him. Very respectfully, she said, when you say sorry and there's no I am before it, then who is apologizing? She said, it's important that you show up for your own apology and say, I am sorry. And he was better for it. He became wiser for it. You need to show up for your own apology. When, when someone apologizes to you and you, you hear sorry, does it, is it the way that you would really want to receive it? Is it what you really need to hear? Is it what you want to hear? No. You, but when somebody says, I am sorry, and you know that they're there for it and they, they're taking responsibility for it, that's the way we want to hear it. And so the golden rule says, well, if you want to hear it that way, if if that's the only way that you can really receive it when the person actually shows up for it, then can you practice it? Well, why can't we practice it? Why is it so difficult to show up for our own apology? 
Why? It's kind of embarrassing, uncomfortable. Why is it so uncomfortable? I mean, even for small things, right? To say, I'm sorry I left that out, or I'm sorry I didn't wash that dish, or whatever it was. I mean, even a a dish just sitting by the the, the sink, and somebody says, you know what, you mind not leaving your dish by the sink. Why is it that we have to run and hide from that, right? Why is that such a big deal? Well, let me me compare it to... uh, to something that we can all relate to. And uh, have, you ever, um, have you ever been in a place where maybe you've ordered uh, a, a, a meal and then you realize maybe like halfway through the meal you don't have your wallet? Have you ever, ha- have you ever had that experience? Is it just me? Okay. Am I the only one who's ever done something this dumb? All right, so, so, you know, so there you are. You've, you've made this, and maybe you've got company too, and you're, you've already offered to pay the bill, right? Um, and so then, you, you know, that, that's really embarrassing, right? So what are you going to do? You start thinking about washing dishes in the back or something like that, you know? It's like, well, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty good image about how we deal with those deficits, those moral and virtue deficits in our lives. Because we're always trying to pay our own bill. And so we, we bring sort of a, 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 this capital uh, we bring this sort of self-esteem capital to it, and we bring maybe some social capital to it, and we just sort of smooth things over, but we know it's not enough. And see, that's, that's what we're experiencing. When, when, when we're called out or when we make a mistake or when we feel that sense of shame and we're trying to pay for it ourselves, that's when we begin to realize it's not quite enough. I think this is the reason why this past year in 2020, we had so much fuel added to the fires of perpetual human conflict, of have and have not, of, 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 of racial uh, discrimination and tension, of political strife, all that just sort of just blew up last year. I think the... the the, the fuel to the fire is, is that our culture in particular, we're losing something. We're losing the ability. We're losing the, the communication channel called confession. We've lost the ability to deal with those deficits and to recognize that, that the bill is paid in full. For the Christian, the bill is paid in full. We should be the ones on the leading edge of a really sincere apology, of taking responsibility, of stepping in there and saying, yeah, that was me. I did it. I didn't do it quite right. Because our bill has already been paid in full. We shouldn't be the ones adding fuel to the fire saying, you know, uh, you know, if I don't get this issue just right, or seeing every issue as sort of our salvation riding on it. I, I think that people uh, are passionate about things, but when it's, when it's all heat about any particular subject or issue that we're dealing with, or social problem or cause, when it's all heat and no light, when it's all heat and no light, I begin to get the impression that that people are, that they're, 
system of salvation is this external cause. It's this single issue that they've rolled the whole world up around, and unless you're on the right side of that, they they feel like somehow they're going to be lost, a lost soul. And that you're a lost soul, or that you're, you're, just, you're a bad person because you're on the wrong side of this issue. And it's all because, why? Because we're trying to pay our own bill. It's all because we've shown up to pay the bill of righteousness. Now, that's a word we don't like, we don't use in everyday conversation. Righteousness, but everybody needs to be okay in their own skin. That's what it is to be righteous. It's to say, look, the, the, the shame I'm feeling is, is, really, is really covered. And to begin to live into that, that reality and that assurance of forgiveness on a daily basis is, is to break the habit of defensiveness. And that's, that's usually what's going on when, when we're deflecting or blaming or we're not fully showing up for our own apology. We're not really taking responsibility for the deficit. We're not really admitting we left our wallet at home. And we're not taking advantage of the fact that the bill has already been paid. For you, Christian, for you, believer, who who claim Christ as the substitute payment for all those deficits in your life, you have every resource to show up and take responsibility. I am sorry. That's a good place to start the new year with the golden rule, to shake the dust off the feet of last year. Second, the anatomy of a good apology, a sincere apology, not just one eye that shows up, but a chin that's raised up, a chin that isn't just so focused on self, the habit Not of defensiveness now, but the habit of self-pity. Self-pity. You know, self-pity sort of masquerades as repentance, doesn't it? It it masquerades as as though we're actually sorrowful about what happened to the other person, but we're actually just feeling sorry for ourselves. Self-pity looks like repentance sometimes, but it actually is very self-focused. And so a a true apology, a true someone who's really taking responsibility for themselves has their chin up to see the other person and how it affects them and not just themselves. To see how it deals with others, how to deal with others rightly and not just worried about how you look, how you appear. That's often how externalized faith, uh, how we deal with, with, uh, with ourselves and with each other and with conflict. We... We're dealing more with how we think others think about us. We're dealing more with how we appear than what's really going on with us. I think that's why Jesus so often talked about um, the, the, the problem of just keeping up appearances. He, he was very <laughs> caustic towards people who claimed faith, but it was an external version of the faith. It, it was true in appearance only. He called 
Uh, he called the Pharisees, for example, the poor Pharisees. They get beat up on a lot, but the, he called the Pharisees. But the, the, the Pharisee in us, the, the, the part of us that just wants to, to look good and not actually improve, he called them whitened sepulchers or sort of whitewashed graves, right? It's, it's to deal with the appearance only. You know, the, the scriptures talk a lot about the, the, the weights and the measures and, and in the context of, of, of honesty, of integrity. You know, what was happening at the time was you know, when a merchant would want to cheat uh, their customers, they would make an ounce um, you know, they, on their scale, they would make an ounce be ac- actually be an ounce and a half. And so, uh, so the, the scale that they had, when, when you put, you know, whatever it is that was being purchased by that merchant um, on the other side, uh, they would have to add an ounce and a half, but it would register as though it were only an ounce on the scale. So they were getting 50% more than they were paying for. And Jesus calls out this kind of uh, appearance only, right? To seem, but not to be. Uh, Jesus calls that out regularly. And often what's happening with self-pity is that, and this is kind of twisted, but it's true. <laughs> Check this out. What we do with self-pity is we project virtue. You see how bad I feel about myself? I must be really good. (laughs) Right? You do this. You do this. I know you do this because you're part of the same gene pool as I am. Like, see, I feel terribly guilty. I must be good. Right? Right? I mean, I can't do anything about this, so the next thing, I I know I'm, you know, I know that, that I'm exposed here, right? I don't want people to see what that, but I'm at least, here's what I can do. I can feel sorry for myself, and maybe people will feel sorry for me, and they'll start to try to fix me and make me feel better, and they'll see how good I actually am, and they'll begin to give me compliments. Oh, I must be good because I feel so bad about what I did. That's, that's sort of our go-to. It's the self-pity habit. You know what happens with that? We're not looking at the other person. We're looking at how we feel rather than how we affected the other person. Frederick Buechner said it this way. He said, you don't think your way into a better, better life. You live your way into better thinking. You don't think your way into better living. You live your way into better thinking. And so, so when, when you and I let go of the, just kind of by, you know, sometimes by sheer force of will, we lift up our chin, we see the other person, and our effect on them, rather than to feel sorry for ourselves, we actually can begin to get out of that dungeon of self-reproach. We can begin to say, all right, now I can deal with this person. Let me deal with this person and my effect on them. You actually begin to think differently about yourself. You're actually sending yourself a message that says, you know what? My failures are not final. I'm not going to be defined by this. I'm going to deal with this person and my effect on them. Do you see the golden rule coming out here? Doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. But doing it, you see? That's why Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. He's not saying, well, this sort of starts to scratch at the surface of the law and the prophets. He's saying, 
This is it. Do it. Just go and put it into practice in the direction of somebody else, and you begin to, to find freedom that's offered from you, for you from the dungeon of self-reproach. That's how you break the self-pity habit and this projection between the, what, what's really on the scale and sort of making up for it in appearance. You begin to, to become what you actually want to appear to be. And so rather than saying, well, I'm going to try to make up the difference between what I really am, I'm going to try to make up the difference by projecting what I want other people to see, you begin to say, you know, it's really down here. It's probably worse than I thought. And you begin to say, well, this is where I really am, and I'm going to deal with what's actually happening and how I'm affecting the other person. And then what ends up happening is you begin to think differently, and you become much more of what you want other people to think you are. Did you follow that? I mean, it's very strange because how do you unwind that cycle? Oh, I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to try to project something else, right? And there's this falsehood between what the scale is actually seeing and what, what it actually is. But when we say, here's where we really are, and you deal with the other person in terms of how you affected them, you actually begin to change the way you're thinking about yourself, about your faith, and about your identity and your trust. And your habit of self-pity begins to change. And you become more of what you want other people to think you are. So, a true and sincere apology has one eye. It has a raised chin, right? You show up for your apology... You, you see the other person and your effect on them and not just project at them what you want the world to see of you. And finally, this, it has two ears. Two ears that actually can listen to what's going on, what the other person is saying. Two ears to break the competition habit. You ever listen to people talk? I listen to people talk all the time. It's so interesting to me. I, sometimes I, I, I say that I have a a hobby of eavesdropping. Yeah, I know that's probably not good to admit, but it's true. So, uh, I, I, I mean, I like to listen to wh- how people talk to each other. I like to listen to how conversations unfold. I, it, it teaches me a lot about where we all are and what's really going on with the world. And, and I, I like to see it play out online. I like to see, uh, I like to hear it, the, your conversations with each other. Now you can be really worried about talking. Well, here comes Tim. I'll stop talking, you know. <laughs> anyway. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're not going to show up in a sermon. I mean, it's just going to be like, you know, just... I knew a person one time back a long time ago this morning. No, just kidding. Just kidding. But I like to listen to the way we talk to each other. You know, it, it, it often goes like this. I... And then it, the other person says, well, I... Well, I... Well, I... 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 You know, I was in a locker room one time, and I was listening to these two guys talk, and it was so competitive, and they were just like the, the, the period at the end of one sentence would barely be put there, and the next guy was jumping in there like, well, I, you know, it was just like this, 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 and that's often how we talk to each other, it's this competition, and we're not, we're not hearing each other, we're not listening to each other. We don't actually 
realize then when, when we get into a conflict that there's more than one subject on the table. Now, this blows people's minds because when, when you actually think about this, you realize, oh, man, I've really been messing up the way I've dealt with conflict. And chances are good that that's true because there are two different subjects anytime there's a conflict. Did you know that? There are two different subjects, not just one. There are two. In any conflict that you have with somebody else, there's the way you see it and the way they see it. And those are two different subjects. And when you can start to, to see it that way, when you can start to deal with people on that level and say, look, the way you see it is one subject, the way I see it is another subject, which subject should we talk about first? I'm serious about this. If you do that, this one thing, you say, okay, let's talk about the way you see it first. And let me open my two ears and let me let you talk. And I'm going to ask you questions about how you see it. I'm going to draw out how you see it. And I'm going to help you understand yourself better about how you see it. And maybe all of this is aimed at me and it makes me feel really bad about me, but I'm going to give you a turn. I'm going to give you a chance just to kind of bring it all the way out. And then we're going to deal with that subject. And then once you feel like I've heard you, and once you feel like I've understood you, and once you feel like I've given you a, a, a full chance to explain how you feel about this thing and, and experienced it, then I'm going to see if we could then talk about another subject, and that is the way I see it. Two different subjects, you see? You want that, don't you? You want somebody, when, when you're, you have a grievance, you're in a conflict with somebody, don't you want somebody else to listen to you? Of course you do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? But you have to see it that way. You have to, you have to intend, you have to will yourself over the way you feel in order to make that happen. You have, to, you have to, in advance, you have to say, the next time this happens, right, I'm going to see it as two different subjects. I'm going to give them a fair shot. I'm going to draw them out. I'm going to ask follow-up questions. I'm going to say, well, what did you mean by that? And is this what you're saying? And it sounds like this. And it seems like when you told me what a terrible person I was, that you're actually saying this. And I mean, I know it's really difficult. I mean, when you, I put it like that, I give you that example. Like, gosh, you know, you really think that I'm, it sounds like you're really frustrated with how I treat you when we, this happens. And, and if you're willing to stay on that subject, Watch what happens. Watch the competition habit begin to drain out, uh, drain the power of competition out of the conversation and watch people come together. I was reading about uh, this therapist who last year said, oh man, I've got so many people who are coming to me who think they're depressed, but they're actually just isolated. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I have so many people shitting out. Some, some people are depressed, but you know, it's a different subject, different sermon. But consider this. You may be down because you're disconnected. And you may be disconnected because of these three habits. Defensiveness, self-pity, and competition. How are you going to do it differently this year in 2021? Are you going to break these habits? Are you going to start with the simple? Are you going to show up? Show up with one eye a raised chin, and two ears? Are you going to show up to that apology? Are you going to make peace with God because you've 
recognize he's called you to confess. And with that strength of the bill paid in full, you have currency to give and exchange with others. Are you going to do that this year? You know, the Wesleys, Charles and John Wesley, both great hymn writers, great preacher, uh, the, um, the, the inspiration of uh, the whole Methodist movement, the, the whole second great awakening of the United States, all of the spreading across of America, uh, and yet faith beginning to follow them, and this movement that, uh, that became the second great awakening. These two figures at one time, their faith was practiced in their head only. This idea of the golden rule was was a great principle, but it wasn't really heartfelt. Why? Well, they came over from the UK uh, one time, and they were on a ship that was in a bad storm, and they were with a bunch of Moravians. The Moravians were, (laughs) I mean, they were just so committed in their faith, and they were ready to face whatever fate uh, they had to face. They were ready to die if if, if they were gonna die in this storm. They were facing it with great courage, and John and Charles both recognized they didn't have that courage because they didn't have the assurance. They didn't have the assurance that the bill was paid in full. They knew it in their heads, but they didn't really have it in their hearts. And then, some years later, as they wrestled with this, as the message began of the gospel began, began to move from head to heart, Here is one of the lines from a very famous hymn, Amazing Love. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for paying the bill that we couldn't cover. And we thank you for showing up, not only in Bethlehem, but on this very table. Bless us now as we receive from your very hand. Through Christ we pray it. Amen. This is not a Presbyterian table. This is not a table of religion, unless you understand that religion really means to retie relationship. Uh, This is a table called the Lord's table, and he invites you on the basis of what he has done, not on the basis of your own merit, to come to the table. And so it doesn't matter what you've thought, what you've been, what you've said, or what you've done. You belong at this table. Let us pray. Father, take these ordinary common elements representing your son's body and his blood and lift them high, high to the heavens and bring them low to the depths of our souls. Feed us, we pray, by faith in your grace. Amen. Tonight Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and giving thanks for it. He broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. In like manner, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. No longer chiseled into tablets of stone, no longer written down 
on stone, but poured out into the human heart. Take and drink. Whenever you do, remember me, Jesus said. For as often as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, I invite you now to take what's been provided for you and the way in and remove just the top layer of cellophane, not the foil part, but just the top clear layer. And as soon as all of that is exposed, lift lift up the wafer. body of Christ broken for you take and eat the cup of the new covenant blood of Christ shed for you take and drink let's pray Father we thank you Help us to be truly thankful that you have stood in our place, a place of condemnation, that we may be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
one thing you can do this year to break the habits of the past, to shake the dust of 2020 off your feet. The golden rule. Start there. Start with one habit. You know which one kind of rang true for you more than the others. Make a deal with yourself that that's going to be an area of focus for this year for you. Put a little extra special sauce on it this year and say, okay, this is where God and I are going to do some business with my soul. Now, would you receive this benediction with a bowed head? May God go with you today, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, within you to give you peace, and before you to show you the way, now and forevermore.